A couple of funny things I'd like to share with you. Uh, this was given to me this morning, and I only proofread half of it, so I hope it's all right. Good night. Uh, I'll just pick a few of these. Uh, of these. Why God made moms, right? This is uh, answers given by the second grade ch- school children to the following questions. Why did God make mothers? Here's, here's the top three answers. She's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. Uh, Number two, mostly to clean the house. Uh, Three, to help us get out of there when we were getting born. (laughs) How did God make mothers? The first answer is he used dirt just like the rest of us. The next one, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. How did God make mothers? God made my mom just the same like he made me. He just used bigger parts. What ingredients are mothers made of? God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. (laughs) What ingredients? They had to get their start from men's bones, then used mostly string, I think. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? First answer, we're related. Next one. God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. What kind of little girl was your mom? Uh, My mom has always been a mom and none of that other stuff. I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. The last one, they say she used to be nice. Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world. My mom eats a lot. Why did your mom marry your dad? She got too old to do anything else with him. Or why did your mom marry your dad? My grandma says the mom didn't have her thinking cap on. What does your mom do in her spare time? First answers, mothers don't do spare time. What would it take to make your mom perfect? On the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, some kind of plastic surgery. (laughs) What would it take to make your mom perfect? Diet. You know, her hair, I'd dye it, maybe blue. (laughs) And if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? And she said, she has this weird thing about me keeping my room clean. I'd get rid of that. What would you change about your mom? I'd make my mom smarter. Then she'd know it was my sister who did it and not me. What would you one thing you'd change about your mom? I would like her to get rid of those invisible eyes on the back of her head. (laughs) Oh, man. We honor moms if you haven't noticed in this place this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, get them ready. If you have your apps, get them ready. We'll be in the book of Mark, and we'll be in chapter 8. But we've been in this series called Battle Ready. Right, we've been we've been we've been focusing in on what God gives us already to make it through the battles in our lives, and we've talked about a few things so far. And this week five, we'll be wrapping up the series Battle Ready, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you. And I think that uh, several people have said it has, and that God has really provided some some tools, some resources for us to have to be ready for the fight our battles. In the world, and, and the first week we talked about prayer. Remember, that seems like a while ago, but we talked about how prayer is our unfair advantage, right? We can go to the God of the universe, the one who kind of controls every 
everything, right? And we can go to him and we can ask us to help, ask him to help us in our battles. That's our advantage. Uh, we also talked about God's word, how he gives us so many promises and so many things to lean on in his word to help us fight our battles. And week three was a particularly, uh, particularly sensitive one. I got a lot of feedback. We talked about worship and how our worship is a good way to fight our battles when we get our worship on. And speaking of worship, we had the God Squad yesterday. That's, that's apparently, we have a children's worship team now, right? And uh, some of the kids you see uh, that were wearing the tie-dyed shirts, it's on YouTube if you want to check it out. There's links to it on Facebook, it's around. But our kids um, went uh, to another church, they had a kids ministry event, and our kids packed up all their instruments, the drums went and the microphones, and our sound guy, Sean, went and took all the sound system, and we, the, the, the children led the worship uh, in that place yesterday, and they really got their worship on. I was able to join via Zoom and see all that, and some of our people were there, and uh, Bella, come on up here real quick. Bella's the only one I see with the t-shirt on. Come on up real quick. So this is, Bella was one, and um, Bria was one, Caitlin Powell. They're scattered all around the church right now, but um, we're all, we're, they were all there. But this is the t-shirt we had made. It says GSN on it on the back. Hashtag God Squad. So uh, thanks, Bella. They went and led worship, these young people, sort of our middle, middle schoolers. And, uh, and Braden Shaner was on the drums, and uh, I'll tell you, they got their worship on. So that's another way we can fight our battles. And as I say in this church, we're going to lead the way, right? On this district and for the kingdom, we are going to lead the way from right here in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. And so when they said, hey, I, I think our children can go lead the worship, I was like, hey, let's do it. Let's pull it off. And they did it. And, you know, we don't shrink back from having kids as part of our, our main Sunday morning worship team. And they're going to share with you in just a few weeks. They're going to lead the worship. We're going to turn it over to them, and they're going to lead. And you won't even miss a beat. It's not like, oh, it's the kids. No, you're going to like, praise God, it's the kids. This is awesome stuff. I mean, they sounded amazing. But worship is one way that we can fight our battles. We, we get our worship on, and we start to praise the Lord. And I said, remember, when you wake up in the morning and you have this, uh, this maybe song of praise in your mind or whatever, and your feet hit the floor, uh, you shouldn't be scared of what the devil has for you that day. You can, the devil, I'm not scared. I'm going to get my worship on. I'm going to praise. I, I can fight my battles. And then last week we talked about generosity, right? And how that can, uh, we talked about in Malachi, how, how the, they sent the worship team out and, at first, and then they kind of said, you know what, we're going to give thanks, and we're going to be appreciative, and we're going to be generous, and how generosity can help us fight our battles when we put God first. That's the main theme of it. When we put God first, our generosity, our time, talent, and treasure, that shows the world, you know, it shows the enemy too, that you know what, we can fight our battles because of our generosity. And I can't wait to get into the word this morning and, and put a cap on this series. I'm sorry to see it go, actually. I really am. Maybe it won't, but I think it will. Mark chapter 8, if you're going to go there, we're going to start in verse 14 and go through 21 this morning. The gospel according to Mark. And Mark is known as the, uh, the, the, the gospel of immediately. There's every, immediately, hastily, all these words happen in the gospel of Mark. Mark, I think, was probably a fast talker and a fast mover. And everything in, in the gospel of Mark is... And, and immediately this happened, and then and, and, and henceforth they went, and I mean, there's a lot of things that happen, like quick, quick, quick in the book of Mark. And uh, we're going to go through some, uh, some of the book of Mark, chapter 8, and tra- starting in verse 14. And I believe this is a word that can change your life if you really internalize what you hear from God this morning. Not me, but what you hear from God. And, and I think we need some good news in our world this morning, don't you? I think we need some good news, right? Yeah, come on, somebody, the good news. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 8. It says this. Oh, and the theme of, of this battle-ready thing is remember to remember. Remember to remember. 
Mark chapter 8. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them on the boat. And in verse 15, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. We're going to dig in. I can't wait to preach this. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread that he's telling us to be careful. Jesus is upset because we didn't bring enough bread. That's what they're saying in 16. They said, oh, it's because we don't have enough bread. Is that why? And Jesus said, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Or are your hearts hardened? Do you, do you have eyes but fail to see? And we're going to read the red, red word together when we get there. And ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve. Like he's teaching them a lesson. They replied, twelve. And when I broke the seven, lo- the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? I want to speak to you this morning about being battle ready on the subject of remember to remember. In fact, would you look at your neighbor this morning and tell him, remember to remember. Remember to remember. And I don't think that it's an exaggeration or hyperbole or anything like that to say that this past year and so many months has really been a a section in time and history that has really changed the world in our lifetime. There are certain times in, in, in history that we can look back and think that was a moment in time that really changed the world, changed things. Um, every year has its challenges, and every year has its defining moments. Right. Every year has its problems, but not every year has such a shift in the atmosphere and a, and a paradigm shift where you're left with possibly more questions than you have answers and complexity than you have clarity, and you think it's kind of a battle. And all of us are having to learn the, uh, the art of adaptability. Our, our, our word around here, a famous word, is pivot. Right? When things happen, when things shift, we have to pivot and figure out another way to do things. And if you're like me, at the beginning of 2021, this year, we thought, oh man, 2020's over. And like a lot of other years, you know, we thought, man, we're in the thick of this here. And, and you might have been having an awesome, intense prayer time with God, a.k.a. complaining session. Somebody? No? Nobody? Just me. But you say, you know, God, this this year's been crazy. I didn't even, no one saw this coming. And I felt like God whispered in the midst of all this, you know, God, this is, I don't know what we're going to do. Help us to make good decisions, Lord. Here we go again with this. Here we go again with that argument and this conversation. And and God said, he he whispered in my ear and he said, hey, you prayed for this year. I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, God. I didn't, no, I didn't pray for this. I don't know anybody would have. And I for sure didn't. I didn't pray for any of this. He goes, oh, no, you, you, you actually did. And I said, well, I don't, I don't, he said, don't forget to remember, you're the one that said in January of 2020, God, I want you to change my life this year. God, I, I want you, you're the one that said, God, whatever it takes for me to go deeper with you this year, God, I want to go deeper. And I always say that that's the most dangerous prayer you can pray, whatever it takes. God, you're the one, uh, you're the one that I want to get close to this year, and whatever it takes, I want to get more of you. I want more of you, God. I I want more. But then I said, God, I didn't want all of this. (laughs) I didn't want this to force me to have. But it's interesting to me that, you know, when we pray these prayers, 
to, to hear the disconnect, thank you, the disconnect between what we want God to do in our lives and what it's going to take from us to make that happen. Are we ready for that? Isn't it funny how, church, y'all, y'all ought to shout about this or, or cringe or something. Isn't it funny how we all want to be changed, but none of us really want to be challenged? We say, God, I want to go deeper, but God, I don't want to be that disrupted. We want depth, but we don't want disruption. We say, God, oh man, I want to go deep with you, Lord, but let me tell you, church, I'm going to tell you this morning that God will disrupt your life. God will disrupt your life. He will do, if you pray, whatever it takes to make you become who he's created you to be. Are you willing to pray that? He'll do whatever it takes. And I'm telling you, sure as I'm standing here this morning, that God will disrupt your life. And I'm telling you that God will, will, will disturb your status quo. He always has done that. That's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He disrupted a lot of people and he disturbed their status quo and their comfort zone. He was always disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. Amen? And that's what's happened in our text today. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. He's fed 4,000 people. If you look back at the beginning of Mark, and you'll see that this is the feeding of the 4,000 people. And then he gets on this boat with the disciples, and and they've come on this boat, and they said, Oh, Lord, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus looks at them and goes, Be careful. And they're like, for, for, for what? Well, we were talking about bread. Like, what do you, what, what's this? Jesus is always looking for those teachable moments, right? He, he says, oh, we forgot to bring bread. So, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? Je- he says, be careful. The disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? He says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. The disciples are like, Jesus, we're the only ones on this boat. You, us, this loaf of bread. There's no Herod. No Pharisees, Jesus, where are you going with this? Because Jesus is asking them later. You guys don't understand. I love the disciples, right? They give me hope because they were a little bit remedial, right? They can be a little bit slow to learn. They can be a little bit bit thick, you know, when it comes to understanding. And he says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. This is classic Jesus. You know, some of you are like, you know what, it'd be cool if we hung out with Jesus. I don't know if it would have been so cool to hang out and walk and talk with Jesus. Because we'd probably just be as confused as the disciples. We have the benefit of the word of God. We have the benefit of hindsight, right? Those guys are walking through like, yeast, Herod, what are you talking about, Jesus? And then Jesus always took that opportunity to unpack things and have them grow and have them really, really understand what he's talking about. Jesus walked this earth and he was not a good man, he was a God man, right? So we wouldn't have understood some of those things he just spouted off with until he unpacked them. I'll give you one example of of Jesus saying some of these things that were kind of caught people off guard. Remember, Jesus was at a wedding one time, right? It was his first miracle. His mother comes up to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And what does he say? Woman, it's not my time. What in the world does time have to do with wine? She's talking about the wine, but Jesus, being God, understood that wine is a metaphor, and it's going to be a metaphor uh, of his blood that's going to be shed. And they ran out of wine, but they could never run out of the blood that's going to cover our sins. 
And that's what, where Jesus is going with this whole thought process. So when he went ahead, he turned the water into wine, he did, and he said, it's not my time to go to the cross yet. And it's hard for, to have these conversations with Jesus until he unpacks them, and we have the, the advantage of hindsight. So back to the boat. They're talking about this loaf of bread, and Jesus is like, I'm not talking about the bread. You're on the boat with bread, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. He says, yeah, okay, you've got a loaf of bread, but you're also looking at the bread of life. And he says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So why does he broach this subject of yeast? What's going on here? Yeast is like your pastor. It's a fun guy. Nobody's giving me any love this morning. (laughs) It's a fun guy. Yeast is a fun guy, and if you put it in the dough, just a little bit of yeast, some of you cooks and bakers know this, it'll affect, affect and contaminate all of bread. Just a little bit of yeast will affect the whole loaf of bread. And the yeast throughout this scripture is, is, a, yet, is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for pride. It's a metaphor for sin. He said just a little bit of that can contaminate the bread. And then he says, how about this, church? He says, watch this. He says, be careful of the yeast of who? The Pharisees, religion, and Herod, politics. Be careful of the yeast of Herod and of the Pharisees. He said, don't start mixing that fungi up in me and what I have for you, the bread, because I'm the only one that can transform your soul. He said, it's, it, don't do that. Isn't it crazy how the Bible is for today? And they still got it confused. They were like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, see, we should have brought more bread. I told you, fellas, we should have brought. They're still not getting it. He's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But, in, but if you guys are insisting on talking about bread, let's talk about bread. Let's go deeper and talk about that loaf of bread, you, 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 that only one loaf of bread you brought. You're worried about one piece of bread on the boat. These disciples are worried. Oh, we only brought one loaf of bread. He says, you know what? Listen. When we fed the 5,000, how many loaves did you have, the disciples? Five. How many did you take up? Twelve baskets full. Okay. When we fed the 4,000, how many loaves did you have? Seven. How many did you take up? A lot more after that. Right. So, okay, I think we're all going to be okay here. If we only got one loaf, I'm on the boat with you. I think we're going to be all right. The disciples had completely forgotten. And I want to pause here because, you know, as most of you know, I wasn't raised as a child in the church, but some of you were. Some of you were raised up in the church. And you might want to file a complaint with the Sunday school committee of the church you grew up in because did you know, I didn't know this until later, in, later on in my walk with Christ, did you know that the miracle of feeding the multitudes, we always talk about the feeding the 5,000. Did you know that this miracle actually happened twice? It actually happened two times. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard a lot about the 5,000, the 5,000, the 5,000. I'll tell you, if some of you knew about the 4,000, you could have got yourself some extra graham crackers and goldfish because you would have been that student been like, didn't he do it twice? I love, right, graham crackers and goldfish, right? Like when the Sunday school teacher comes in with the goldfish and it's like feeding the chickens, man. They just spread them out. They go, oh, here they come, here they come, here they come. They pick up all the goldfish. Come on, Sunday school, you know. Here they come. Why is that important that that first he stated he fed fed the 5,000, a few months later he fed 4,000? 
The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 should speak to us today because it lets me know that God did this miraculous work one time and then he turned right around four months later and he did it again. And that is good news for somebody this morning. That if God did something miraculous once, he has the power and authority to do it again. And if God healed you once, he can heal you again. If he opened a door one time, he can open a door again. He can do it again. Do not let this pandemic, church, uh, make you nervous and question the power of your God. Because if he did it once, he'll do it again. That's what being battle ready is all about. Remembering his faithfulness. Remember to remember his faithfulness. Some of you need to rehearse the history of all the things that God has brought you through and brought you from. And all the things he's done. And your history with God should give you strength and the faith for what you're facing even today, this morning you brought in here. Because if he did it once, he'll do it again. Look at the God that we serve, church. The, the miracle of the multitudes. We have to look at this miracle, not only because he did it twice, but because it's in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them talk about the feeding of the multitude. All of them talk about it. It's the only miracle mentioned beside the resurrection. So that, so that means it's important. And it also means that Jesus is not just concerned with my soul. He's also concerned with my need. What a wonderful thing it is this morning to church to know that Jesus is not only consider, uh, con- concerned about the circumstances that I'm going through and my soul. He's, he's concerned about what you're facing. He's concerned about what you're going through. You need to know that Jesus this morning is concerned about it. And, and can I tell you something this morning? If it matters to you, it matters to God. If it's something you're concerned about, if it matters to you, it matters to him. He wants you to come to him. In fact, it might even matter more to God because he is concerned about the very condition of your soul. But he's also concerned about your circumstances. He's concerned about the bills you're trying to figure out. He's, he's concerned about your anxiety and your depression. And he's concerned about all of that, about your need. And he's concerned about your soul as well. Look at Jesus who has the power to captivate thousands of people. Thousands of people that were gathered there on these two occasions. They, they were so captivated by, by Jesus' teaching that they, he, that they even forgot to eat. They were on that hillside or wherever they were, gathered together in that field or on that hillside. And Jesus is preaching. And his preaching was so good, they forgot how to eat. Church, say amen. amen. Not how to eat, but they forgot. They missed a meal. You know you're preaching good when people forget to eat. That's why we feed you first. That's the litmus test for good preaching. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't need to eat. Let me just listen to the word. Let me just soak it in. The word is up there preaching to them, and they, they just didn't even need to eat. But even while he's preaching, it says in the scripture that Jesus realized that they needed to eat. They're hungry. And that's the message this morning that God cares about the needs that you have. Not only is it a message that God cares, but it's a mandate to the church this morning. It's a mandate to the church that we must reflect the character of Jesus and thank God for this local church. Can I just brag on you guys for just a minute? That just doesn't mean we just preach the, val- preach the gospel in our valley and online around the country, but we also care about the condition and the needs that you have here in this church. 
We reach out. There are so many ministries that happen through this church. So many arms that reach out from the blankets to compassion to the food to the everything that we do. The prayer lists and prayer warriors. All of this stuff that we do here. Because we want to reflect the character of Jesus in meeting your needs. We are concerned about what you're concerned about. That's why I tell you, if you want to be added to the prayer list, added to that chain, however you want to do it, get a hold. We'll put you on there. We're concerned about what you're concerned about because we want to reflect the character of Jesus. I love what uh, the great theologian Howard Thurman had to say about uh, the power of being concerned about others and, be, and the power of prayer and, and how that all interacts with one another. Uh, he says this, the power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be a part of the answer. Soak that in. Screenshot, tweet that. That's Howard Thurman, not me. The power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be a part of the answer. Connect, be concerned, care, because that's the character of Jesus. In other words, God's looking for someone to partner with him. To care about the condition of the soul and the condition of people's circumstances. Now, I want to do something real quick. I want to look at these two miracles. I want to look at, first of all, the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to look at the feeding of the 4,000. And I want to kind of treat these two miracles. You remember those, those pictures in the doctor's office waiting room, the magazine, and you had to find the pictures that matched up and the differences and the similar. Find the bicycle and you'd find it in both. Oh, there it is, there it is. I want to kind of do that with these two miracles and see what the common, uh, common threads are in both of them. Um, just look at these two miraculous moments in the life of Jesus so we can understand what we need to remember to remember. The first thing I noticed that happened in both miracles is that there was a lot of people, right? There's a lot of people. So there was a lot of problems. It says 5,000 and 4,000, but biblical scholars would, would all agree that that's not counting the women and the children that were gathered there. Probably fifteen to 20,000 people. That's a lot of people and a lot of problems. Because how many of you know you got people, you're going to have some problems, Don't forget to remember that we are called to people. As Christians, as Jesus followers, we are called to people. Therefore, we are called to problems. And there was a lot of people and a lot of problems because you can't can't separate the two. They kind of go together. And you know, a lot of people during this last, during the pandemic, you say, you know what, I'm just kind of sick of people. I don't, I just, I'm sick of people altogether. Well, give me the good news for you this morning. Some of you that say, I just want to be by myself. You still have yourself to deal with. I mean, some of these shelter in place, these things that happened early on, right? People would show us that I'm really sick of myself. We're called to people. And that means we're called to their issues and their problems as well. And thank God that you have the answer. Can I use a popular term? You have the answer, Jesus follower, to their problems. You have the vaccine to their problem. You have Jesus Christ. Don't forget to remember that we're called to people and people come with issues. And in both miracles, compassion was the catalyst for the miracle. Watch this. In the feeding of the 5,000, it said Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. In the feeding of the 4,000, those words actually come out of Jesus' mouth. I have compassion on these people. 
It's one of the only times in the Bible that Jesus verbally says, I have compassion. So in one moment, the compassion calls him to move. In the next moment, it causes him to actually say words. I have compassion. How many people know that if you have compassion, you must take action? In fact, compassion is where care and action collide. That's where they come together. That's compassion. And if you you see compassion in both miracles, compassion was the catalyst for the miracle. Jesus had compassion on these people. And we need to reflect that as well. We have to be a people that have compassion, that have care, but then we also take action. I found it intriguing in both miracles too, that the disciples, the disciples were asking the wrong questions. Go figure. They were asking the wrong questions, church. Asking the wrong questions. Hear me this morning. Worry, right? Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Worry is the byproduct of asking the same things the disciples were asking, the wrong questions. They looked out, paranoid, worried, and they said, how can we get enough money to buy bread for all these people? They looked out and they said, how can we even find bread in this kind of desolate place where we are? Wrong question. Wrong question. And worry is a byproduct of wrong questions. And some of you are like, Pastor, give us a scripture for that. I'm glad you asked this morning. Matthew chapter 6, look at what it says. Matthew chapter 6 says this. Jesus says these words. So do not worry, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here come the questions. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But he says this, but first... Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. I like the King James on that one. Then all these things will be added unto you. I wonder if the reason you have so much worry is because you're asking the wrong questions this morning. What if there's another lockdown? What if the kids can't go back to school and I got to be their homeschool teacher? Well, oh man, what if, somebody just sneezed. Oh, I got, what happened? Oh my goodness, sneezes sound like gunshots. I don't know what's going on. What am I going to do about this? What if my 401k, what if I lose, lose my pension? What if I lose my job? What if I, they're the wrong questions, church. I'm not saying don't have wisdom, but worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. And at both feedings, both miracles, they asked the wrong questions. But Jesus gave a better question. Here's the, Jesus, here's the question that Jesus asked in both of the miracles. He said, how many loaves do you have? And that is a good question. I'm glad Jesus asked that question. He said, how many lo- loaves do you have? Well, where are we going to get the money and how are we going to feed and where are we even going to get bread? How many do you have? You know the power of that question? That means stop worrying and start focusing, stop focusing on what you do not have. How about you focus on what you do have at your disposal, Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? That question is one we ought to be asking ourselves. What do you have already at your disposal? What do you have? What has God given you? When you say, how many loaves do you have? That doesn't lead to worry. That leads to work. 
that makes me go, oh, you know what? I'm going to find what God has kind of given me and what I do have and what can I use that I already have. God has already blessed me with so much. What has God put on the inside of me that I need to do what I need to do to make this miracle happen? He wouldn't be asking for how many loaves if you didn't have some loaves, some, something somewhere that God has given you. How many loaves do you have? That means you've you got to kind of do inventory on what God has already given you. Don't let the, the enemy make you focus on what you don't have or what you have lost. Look at how many loaves you have left. You might have lost your job. Yeah, okay, but you still have your mind. You still have your body. You still have your creativity. You're still here. How many loaves do you have? It's what I have. What do you have? It's easy to look, right, on, on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all these things, and, like, look at the picture and like the picture of other people's loaves without considering what God has given you. This is what I have. I brought, yeah, I brought an illustration for you just, just to... Get your mind moving. I asked for somebody to bring me some bread this morning. And there's a loaf of bread. Some of y'all are judging my, my illustration this morning, and that's not right. It's sugar-free whole grain. It just worked out that way. Thank you for bringing that. I brought this bread, and some of y'all are judging it, but that's okay. You're like, Pastor, okay, here's the bread, right? You don't have any fish. There were fish too. Y'all want me to bring out the stinky fish? we didn't have no fish at the house did we that's okay kathy kindly kindly brought this for me this morning and let me tell you this and the only reason i bring this up about the fish look in the scripture a minute so i can get a sip of water jesus never asked for fish jesus never read it read it when you get home he never asked for fish in both miracles, he never asked for fish. He only asked for loaves. It was in the process of looking for the loaves that they found out, wait a minute, we have some fish too. It was in the process of taking inventory of what God had already given them and provided for them that they found out, we got something extra. Church, I'm telling you, if you'll stop complaining about what you don't have and start giving God thanks and be grateful for what you do have, you're going to find some fish. The fish was extra. And in both miracles, watch this, the disciples took the bread and thought it was too little in their hands. This isn't enough. They look in in both of them, they're kind of like, okay, look at all these people, look at these loaves. It's not enough. And don't we feel like that sometimes? Or am I the only one this morning? Have you ever looked at the demand in front of you and looked at what was in your hands and you say, it's, it's just not enough. It's not enough. God, look at the family you've blessed me with. Look at all of this that's coming ahead in my life. God, I can't, I, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough in me to, to do this, God. You, these things that come up, I don't, I don't have enough in me. Mother's Day, right? Moms, you look at your families and you look at things in, in turmoil and you're like, you know what? I don't, God, I don't have enough. I'm not enough to be the leader of the household. I'm not enough. I don't have enough to be what you called me to be. I don't have enough. God, I, don't, I just don't have enough. Can I tell you something, church? You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough or be enough as long as you have it in your hands. 
But God is calling you this morning to take what is not enough and put it in his hands. And once you get it out of your hands, there's something miraculous that can happen. But as long as it's in your hands, it will never be enough. Never be enough. You're trying to control it. And if this time in history has not taught us anything, it ought to teach you that you are not in control. (laughs) you got to get it out of your hands and put it in his hands. And you know what happened in the scripture? He took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it right back to them. Interesting to me that the miracle and the multitude multiplication didn't happen in Jesus's hands. It couldn't have. That wouldn't have taken any faith. Right? Because if if it started multiplying in his hands, they'd be like, okay, we're good. Jesus has this under control. We're good. Everything's cool. No, he blessed it. He broke it. And he said, here you go. Now you guys, you go pass it out. So that means that multiplication happened in both miracles through the interaction Multiplication happened through interaction. Think with me through this. This is the most inefficient miracle ever. Here they go. What are we going to do with this? You got thousands of people. You got 12 dudes going to disperse to thousands of people. Come on, Jesus. You got all the power. You could have just blinked, snapped your fingers, do whatever you do, Jesus. And everybody would have been full. You could have made it happen. You could have created like a, a pop-up like Chick-fil-A and boom, everybody's, you know, that, you know, the Christian chicken, pop, there it is, fill it with fish, fish filet, I don't know. You could have made everybody drive through and if there's anybody that can handle 15,000 people in a drive through it's Chick-fil-A, God bless you. <laughs> Why in the world are 12 dudes, it's lonely up here and these are the jokes, if you're not laughing now, it's going to be a long three hours. How in the world are 12 guys passing out bread possibly going to feed 15,000 people? How long is this miracle going to take? It doesn't matter how long it takes because in the multiplication, the interaction had to happen. Can you see them passing the bread out, right? They're holding the bread in their hands. Maybe, the, maybe there was something like this. And they're like, all right, all right, guys, here we go. Here you go. How are you doing this morning? Good, good to see you. Hey, good, good. How are you? This, did you enjoy the message? Okay, here you go. God bless you. This is your little token from our church. This is from you. And they're handing out this bread. And they're going, and then the conversation's starting, right? And then the interaction is starting. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, man. Go, t- take a piece. Don't take too big a piece. Here, just take a little bit. Here you go. Come on, we don't got that much. Hey, hey, how's your son's been? How's your... How's your kid been? How's your how's the, how's the family? How, hey, it's so and so that's been sick. How they've been doing? And, and there's this interaction happening, right? And they and they and the, the the interaction as they interacted with the people, it started multiplying. Hey, where are you from? Yeah, I used to live up. Man, I thought I'd be out by now, but I guess there's still some in here. And they keep passing and passing. Before you know it. The, the multiplication was happening through this interaction and they passed it out and they had leftovers afterwards. Leftovers. Here's my issue with the disciples. Jesus did this miracle twice. Feeding the 5,000, all right, I'll give you a pass. The first time, okay, you're going to be nervous. I'm sure you were, you were sweating as a disciple going, there's not going to be enough. But finally they realized, okay, I think we're good. All right, cool. And then months later, you're in the same scenario. And you don't notice the need, but it took Jesus to notice the need. And he says, I have compassion on these people. And they need to eat too. You should have gone up as a disciple. Up, 
We've been here, done that. We got this, let's go. Where's the loaves? Let's get it going. We've been here before. We know what to do. Come on, fellas. Why are, we, why are you stressing? So then they get on there and they're talking about Jesus and he's like, why? Don't you guys get it? You already forgot. Well, we, where are we going to get to? We just did this. And how many know this morning that we're a bit like them? God's come through for you before, but in the middle of all the stress that life is today, as you sit here, you're stressing out. God's come through before, he'll come through again. Sometimes we forget the goodness and the faithfulness that God has given us. We forget to remember. And I'm challenging you this morning, church, to remember to remember. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that because don't forget, in the feeding of the 5,000 the real issue was not the crowd. To them, it was the price. Where can, we get, where can we get enough? This would take a half year's wages. It was the price. The feeding of the 4,000, if you really look at it, they were in another place. It was the place. And the, and, 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 and the people, because remember what Jesus said, I have compassion on what? These people. And the disciples, they answer and say, where can we find enough bread to feed these people? In this place. And this ought to make you ask, where was this place? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. Y'all are paying good attention. Good questions. The feeding of the 5,000 happened in Bethsaida by the Sea of Galilee. It was kind of a Jewish territory. A lot of Jews in around that area. Not a problem. The disciples were Jews. You know, Jesus, with, uh, and the, the Jewish people were being reached. The disciples were like, yeah, we're going to help feed the Jewish people here. And they're passing out. We got, we'll get through it. But the feeding of the 4,000... That happened near the region of the Decapolis in Gentile territory. Uh Uh-oh. This is a place that they hardly would go, ever. And there are people there that they never hung out with, really. And Jesus said, hey, I have compassion on these people, too. Imagine how that interaction was. (laughs) Here you go. Here. Here. Here, you two. Fine. These are Gentile people. They wouldn't have associated with them. But Jesus is saying, you know what? The feeding of the 4,000 is a field trip to show the disciples, I am the bread of life, and I'm not just for you. I'm for the entire world. Everybody needs bread. Everybody is hungry. And Jesus says, I'm going to use you to give bread to the entire world. And he says, oh, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem. I know you like that. But also to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Jesus says, I am going to help you see people that you don't normally see. The feeding of the 4,000 was this field trip to help them see people that they don't normally see. And don't you know what you ought to be praying for during this season of craziness and chaos? You ought to be praying these, Lord, help me see people I don't usually see. Because they need bread too. Isn't it amazing how you can see people with addictions maybe a certain way until someone in your family has an addiction? Isn't it crazy how some places, sometimes you can walk into a place and not even be concerned whether they have an elevator or how many stairs until your child has a disability? Isn't it funny how we can look at things in certain situations and not really have compassion or understand because we don't really see what we need to see? Thank God for the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 because you know what he was trying to do with these disciples? 
what he did with the bread. He was trying to do with the disciples the same things he did with the bread. He was trying to take them and bless them and once in a while break them, causing them to see people they don't normally see and then multiply it. And that's what God wants to do with every one of our lives. He wants to take you, believe in Jesus, accept his work on the cross as payment for your sins. He wants to take you from your life of sin. He wants to bless you. God is for you and not against you. And then occasionally God will break you. He will break you. (laughs) So that ultimately your life can touch someone else's life. And in the breaking, in those moments, in the breaking moments, he'll make you see people you don't normally see. And then he wants to take your life and he wants to multiply it. He wants to bless you. He wants to multiply you telling other people about Jesus. That's how it works. And on this Mother's Day this morning, remember to remember that there are generations coming after you. Because when we think about mothers and Mother's Day, uh, everyone in this room, I think, has had a mother or has a mother. That's just the way the math works. So when we start thinking about that, remember, if you're a mother or not, but you have a mother, there are generations that are coming after you that can change this world. And if there's one thing that I'm realizing now as a a father of two girls, one who is just about to go into college next year and like start life, there are generations coming after you that can change this world and that will change the world. I heard one scientist say the, uh, last month, um, the first person to step foot on Mars is alive right now. It's going to happen. What more then can God use the generations that come after you to change the world for his kingdom? Don't forget to remember the provision of your God. Don't forget to remember that God wants to take you and bless you and break you and multiply you so that you can share who he is. The bread of life to the entire world who is hungry for him. Would you stand this morning? I wonder if you would take this moment to reflect on what you just heard through the word of God. And if you need to bow your head, close your eyes, sort of get in this reflective type of moment. This can be a sacred moment for you. But you would take just a few minutes this morning and if you would pray that prayer in your heart, saying, you know what, Jesus, help me to see people that I normally wouldn't see. Help me in these moments realize, Lord, that I need to figure out a way to have this compassion that I see demonstrated in the Word of God. I'll talk to you first this morning, Jesus followers. And I realize in a room this size that 
there are those that are following Jesus and those that aren't. But first of all, I want to address you, Jesus followers. If you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian this morning, put your life in the hands of Christ so that he can bless you and break you and then multiply you. How can you have that compassion that we heard about that you might see people that you normally don't see and that you would have that compassion for others and how you can reach out, how you can can bridge the gap between God and your fellow man. Pray that way, Jesus followers, on how God can use your life. Remember to remember that if he did it once, he'll do it again. If God healed you once, he'll heal you again. If he blessed you once, he'll bless you again. If he delivered you once, he'll deliver you again. He cares about what you care about. So Jesus followers, if you would bow your head and close your eyes and pray along with me. Just pray in your heart. Dear God, help me to see people that I don't normally see. Help me, Lord, to have this compassion. Just care in action. Jesus, just like you did, help me to see people and help me to see, Lord, their need before anyone else sees it. For, for Lord, you saw that before the disciples did. And no matter how many times you were an example to those disciples, Lord, they still didn't see it. God, help us as followers of you to be different than them. To see the needs that are right in front of our noses, Lord, and reach out and show the love of Christ to the marginalized, to the people that we don't normally see. Open our eyes, God. Help us to see, Lord, beyond the nose, beyond the bridge of our nose. And Lord, we will give you the glory. We'll give you the credit, Lord. And we will continually point people to you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed in the room this morning, you've heard the words on the page and you've heard the words of the, of the message. And now I would challenge you that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if, as your Savior, if you don't know that you know that you are saved this morning, I would challenge you to not leave here the same as you came in. You're not here by accident this morning. You didn't wander in because it's Mother's Day. You didn't wander in to see anybody in church. You got here because God orchestrated time and space for you to be here this morning. And he has something for you. So I guess my my question to you would be, do you know that you know that you are saved this morning? You are not promised tomorrow if you walk out of here, you could be over. Your life could be over in a moment's notice. One thing 2020 and this whole pandemic season has taught us, we are not in control of anything. So I don't want you to leave here with any doubts this morning. In fact, when you do leave here, you've heard enough to be accountable. So when you stand before Jesus, holy God one day, you're going to give an account for your life. Are you prepared to stand before him? Ask yourself these questions. As you reflect back on what you've heard this morning, do you know Jesus this morning? 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. We're not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. You say to me, Pastor, I don't know that I know. I don't really know. I'm not sure of any salvation that you're talking about. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me tell you, friends, Jesus 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life on a cross for every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you will ever commit. And the Bible says that all you need to do is believe and confess. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Accept that, receive that, and say, I believe. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I need to know that I know. I believe that Jesus died for me, and I want to live for him. Just slip your hand up where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. You say, Pastor, I need need this Jesus you're talking about. I can't go another day not knowing. Because I'm not promised tomorrow, and I realize that. Just say, Pastor, that is me. Father, in this sacred moment, you know people's hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that no one would leave here the same as they came in. And that hearts and lives would be changed, Lord, because your Holy Spirit took this message and translated it into our hearts, God, so that we might have this compassion, that we might, Lord, become more Christ-like, reading about what he did and how he dealt with the people around him, having compassion, dealing with his friends, the disciples. God, help us to see people we don't normally see. Help us to put care in action, Lord, and reach out with Christ's love in any way that you call us to. God, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. I thank you for each person who's come. And I pray, Lord, a special blessing upon the mothers. We honor the moms in in this church, Lord. We honor all the ladies in this church and what they mean to our church family, God. Thank you in advance for what you're about to do because we heard this message and we responded and we obeyed your your word, God, this morning. Be with us as we leave this place, Lord, and may, may we not depart from your presence all day long. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name and for his sake that we pray. Amen and amen. Call your mother. You are dismissed.